You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producers are Patrick Antonetti and Sean Cherry. Our guest this week is one of our regulars. John O'Rand is the Sports Business Daily's media writer, and you can find his excellent work on there. Uh, if you happen to be on Twitter, follow him at, uh, at O'Rand underscore SBJ, O-U-R-A-N-D underscore SBJ, uh, one of the essential follows when it comes to sports media. John O'Rand joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. John, welcome back. Thanks, man. Always good to come on. The America's favorite uh, Sports Media Podcast guest, so I appreciate you coming on, as always. <laughs> I have a busy schedule. Busy schedule, yeah. No doubt. All right, so let's. Um, we're taping this on Friday, uh, April 24th. So it's one night, uh, I'm sorry, it's one day after the first night of the NFL draft. So if you listen to this, most likely the draft will have been concluded by then. So just so it gives you a little bit of context as to when John and I are talking. All right, John, before we get to viewership or anything like that, I want to talk to you about production. How did you view, um, how did you view the first night of the NFL draft? I must say, John, um, I was incredibly impressed by just the technical uh, technical aspirations and the and the ability to pull off what was probably the most complicated draft the ESPN and the NFL Network had ever done. Essentially, very very minor technical glitches, kind of amazing. Yeah, and and you know I was watching for the glitches. I mean, I, I think that's that's part of the ethos of being a reporter. Like, what's going to go wrong? I can't wait to see it, and I want to see how they react from uh from from the glitches. And I think that you can really quibble about certain things or certain certain delays that a couple of analysts had when when they were uh speak uh when they started to speak uh Goodell several times didn't realize that he was on camera and was heard uh, d- doing different things so so th- there were things that happened that if they had happened on an enclosed set would have been you know uh wor- worthy of note and 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 bashing but that that was a technical Marvel, as far as I was concerned. I mean, the, the the way they were able to sort of seamlessly talk to people in so many different areas, and I'm just going to point to uh, I have on on my screen right now a tweet from Fred Gadelli of uh, Sunday Night Football, who said, uh, "Congratulations to the production and engineering staffs of ESPN and NFL Network. In a normal year, the draft is a monster. To do it in this environment is a tremendous achievement of the highest order." And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I, I that there was there were no big glitches, and the small glitches there were just were were really pretty insignificant. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I think um, so. We'll, we'll take sort of a couple different things from the from the telecast and and give it a little bit of analysis. The first thing, John, on that was, you know, the my, my sense would have been that the Goodell part would have would have been um, would have been good. I, I feel like. Roger Goodell is going to have as much IT people in his office, uh, his home office, to make sure that works well. Where I was really surprised at just how smooth it was, was the six different analysts that they had. You know, Kurt Warner, Michael Irvin, Daniel Jeremiah, et cetera, Kuyper, obviously, Louis Riddick. That was seamless, John. Those guys were all in different places. Uh, they 
some of them had never worked together before. And I was really, really impressed by the fact that, you know, was it as good as if everybody was in the exact same studio? No, but it wasn't, it wasn't so far off that. So that's first and foremost that I was really impressed by just how well that worked. Yeah. And let me add on to that too, because you, you were watching ESPN or NFL network. I, I was watching last night on, on ABC and they had a completely different roster of talent there. They had, you know, uh, Rinaldi hosting Herb Street, Jesse Palmer, De- uh, Desmond Howard, Howard, Maria Taylor. And it was the same thing. It was just a very, se- I mean, you couldn't get, you didn't have verbal clues, so it wasn't as seamless, but it was very quick and it was, you know, uh, it was broadcast TV worthy. It was really a te- technical feat. I um I did flip between both broadcasts. Um I did mostly watch the ESPN NFL Network broadcast. I did flip to the ABC at times. And the one thing about the ABC broadcast, John, is it makes it very you know, it's 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 intentional where it's much more college focused and they want to do the backstories of these athletes to sort of give you much more perspective on their story as opposed to how will said athlete fit you know, in Tampa Bay's defensive scheme. Do you have a preference, just a personal preference, as to what you think works better in terms of just a uh, sort of a content philosophy when it comes to presenting the draft? You know, I just want to say, before saying anything, this is the most positive I think you and I have ever been on this podcast. So if, if we don't get stories from Reith Miller and La Placa, then, then we're doing something wrong, Richard. This is crazy. So it's early. It's John. It's er, it's early in the podcast. Right, right. Give it time. Give it time. Uh, look, the uh, uh, I like the ABC broadcast. It's something that I can sit down with my daughters and and, and watch. And it, it they it's set up so it doesn't get into the X's and O's. If you're a hardcore, not even hardcore, if you're a big sports fan or if you're an NFL fan, you're going to want to watch uh, ESPN. If you're not so much an NFL fan, but you want to see a big event, which the draft has turned into, you want to see those backstories. I mean, this is a it, it is broadcast TV 101. Dick Ebersol did this for years with the Olympics and all the all the sort of the the soft uh, features behind, so that you get to know these athletes before they compete, and that, that's a, exactly the blueprint that you know ABC has been trying to use on 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 its uh, on its show. So if you don't you know, it's funny that they did have all the college people in there. If you don't know college all that that, that well, that is a great way to get introduced to these uh, to these athletes. John, I want to ask you one question just about the um, the sort of the, the draft itself, the fact that it, it is existing and being um, uh, being broadcast. Uh, you know, I I, um, I have great admiration for the people who are working behind the scenes at ESPN last night. Uh, let me be very clear. No, they're not first responders. No, they're not nurses. No, they're not doctors, nor should they even be considered in the same sort of conversation when uh, describing what they did last night. That said, these are people working um, in conditions they've never worked under before. They're wearing masks. They're working in close quarters in a, a building with others where, you know, you cannot guarantee um you know, unless you have the kind of system where you're checking temperature, you're getting tested, you know, unless you're sort of set up like South Korea, you can't guarantee that you're walking into a totally clean facility. But the, these guys worked it, and obviously they did a masterful job. But there's a real question to that, John. And the question is, if there is even any kind of risk, however small to employees, should this thing even be on? 
Um, and again, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I'm glad it was on. I watched it. And obviously, if I'm writing about it, you know, I, I, I must in some sense support that it's on. That said, I think that's a fair question. And there were certainly some people on social media who asked me that, like, if it's such a risk, why do it? How do you, where do you come, uh, where do you stand on this? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm wondering, uh, and I don't know the answer to this, maybe you do, if, if I uh, am a behind-the-scenes uh, uh, producer and I wanted to beg out because I didn't feel safe, I can't imagine ESPN w- would have said, no, you, you have to do this. Yeah, yeah. They, I, in talking to Seth Markman, he said, at least publicly for the record, that any employee who did not want to work uh, the draft did not have to. Well, in Georgia now, a nail salon is is an essential business, I suppose. Uh, I, I would I would suggest that um, that's the most political I've ever gotten on this pod, Richard, right there. True. So I'm stunned by that, John. I, I almost <laughs> fell off my chair. You were stunned into silence. Look, <laughs> I, I think that uh, ESPN is a 24-7 network, as is Fox, as is CBS. They, they uh, are there to produce television. Uh, I think that, the, you know, the television, when we see the numbers that come out, and my prediction before going in was uh, over 16 million, I bet I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went over 20 million, uh, to, to be perfectly frank. I mean, is that an, is that an essential service? You know, I, I don't know. It's pretty close. You're entertaining 20 million people who are, stu- who are quarantined at, at, at home. Uh, I think that it's, you know, I, what... What you brought up is something that, to be honest, I never even entered my mind. I mean, it's it's sort of what what is happening across the television landscape. It's not unique to ESPN. Uh, I mean, at Lifetime Television, you know, they're they're having the same the the, the same um, discussions. I'm sure going in. Uh, so I, it, to me, it's you know, if you wanted to beg out because you weren't safe, I would imagine they would have let you do that. Uh, but I, I didn't have I didn't have any problem with what with what was going on. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. John, by the time um, people listen to this, the the viewership numbers are going to be out uh, as we're taping this now. The only thing that's out is reporting by you. You got some overnight numbers from selected big markets, uh, New York, Chicago, Philly, and Boston. Man, uh, I mean – Boston up 52% from last year, Philly up 52% from last year, Chicago up 38% from last year, New York 13% from last year. I mean, generally, John, if the draft's not held in these cities, you know, the big cities, it's usually the Birmingham's and the Norfolk's and the, uh, you know, the Nashville's and the Raleigh-Durham's where, like, you see these monster, uh, you know, sort of shares, but... I think you're right, man. I think my prediction as to what the draft was going to be, and I thought it would be around uh, 14, 15 million. I think I may be low here. The the early indications based on your reporting seem to suggest that this was a monster viewership last night. Yeah, and and uh, you and I both know it's it's impossible to take an overnight number and guess at what the final number is going to be. But you can take a look at. New York, the biggest uh, biggest market in, in the States. Chicago, the third biggest market in the States. I think Philly is the 
fourth or fifth biggest market in the States, and they're up 13%, 38%, 52%. It's going to be a massive number. And and I think that, uh, you know, this is a prediction rather than sort of taking a look at that, but it's going to be an an all-time high by a mile, I think. Now, this will be sort of, we'll see if we turn out to be right or not. Do you think this, again, day two and day three are never close to day one, but do you think the trend continues? Do you think we're going to see massive increases for day two versus previous years, day two? Do you think we'll see massive increases for day three off previous years for day three? I don't know. I, I uh, One of my quibbles, so a couple of quibbles that I have with last night is that was it, was there really a, a storyline that that hooked you that made you want to stay to the end, or or, or maybe a storyline that made really. you want? And no. I I think that that the draft was sort of missing that a, a, a little bit. Um, and also, if if I want to make another quibble, and this is a TV quibble, I went to bed. I, I fully admit before the first round ended. I think that it ended uh, at twelve fifteen or so. It ended after midnight at at, at some point. With everybody. The, the idea of starting later is what they've done in TV for decades because you want to get the West Coast viewership in and and, and everybody uh, – you want people to come home from work and sit down and, and, and start to watch. But everybody – or not everybody, but a huge majority of the country, including all of California, is quarantined in the house. Why wouldn't they start this at, say, 7 p.m. Eastern – where it, where you know you're not worried about people that are stuck in traffic in LA trying to get home because they're already home, and and then uh, then you don't have to run into the problem where it ends after midnight, which is too late for you know. Look, my team already had already picked, so I don't need to I, I don't need to stick that late. You know, uh, I that's that's something that I I wonder if they thought about beforehand, and it's something that I wonder if they they would do over if they had the chance. Yeah, but John, you know that. Um... <laughs> Historically, all these networks want this to be pushed as late as possible. I, I get that it ended around. I watched the whole draft. I think it ended a little after midnight Eastern. But you know, there's a reason why World Series games start uh, when they do. There's a reason why the NBA final starts when it does. The, his, you know, the data will tell you that the later in the night, you know, until you get to the point of no return, you're you're always going to draw better than if you start at. Seven o'clock Eastern, four o'clock Pacific. Oh, of course, of course, that's right. Uh, traditionally and historically, we're, we're we're in this weird time though, where people are just home, and and I, I would imagine at four p.m. when you're stuck in the house and something's uh and all of a sudden uh, you know something pops up on 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 television that you want to watch a big event, you know you're going to tune into it because you're at home with a TV and you and and you don't have to commute and you're not stuck in the office. And so I, th- th- this is like. I'm not advocating for you know having World Series games start at, at 7 uh, p.m. Although that would help me and my East Coast uh, re- residents. I'm just saying, given where we are with coronavirus, and get, give it, given the state of the country right now, it might have. I think it would have made more sense to to start this earlier and keep everybody from. Uh, I, w- I wonder how many East Coasters went to bed before before midnight because they you know they just got tired of it. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I, I still would have started later, but, um, but that's, that's worth a discussion, uh, at least in terms of, you know, the hypotheticals as to what it may or may not have done. Uh, anything else you want to sort of focus on with the NFL draft? You do, I think you make a great point though, in that, you know, th- the most memorable drafts, and usually this is tied to viewership too, John, is someone very well known slipping down. That That's usually what, 
Tebow, Manziel, uh, Brady Quinn a little bit. It, usually, the 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 when somebody is in the green room and they're in the green room forever, that becomes the drama of the draft. Um, you know, you had the Laramie Tunsell stuff a couple of years ago, but this one, you know, other than you know maybe a team moving up. Uh, I'm sorry, maybe a player moving up on draft boards that the draft experts did not exist. Pretty pretty stock draft, right? No. No drama. Yeah, and if I have any pet peeves, uh, you know, they they did. Uh, how how long did it take for the first pick to to come out? I think it was like eight twenty seven. Took a while. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So let, let's get to it. We, we've we've been waiting for this moment, and then we have to wait another twenty seven minutes. And then my pet peeve every year: what took the Bengals ten minutes to make that pick? They knew exactly. It should have taken them ten seconds. <laughs> it drives me batty. So, but but uh. Uh, other than that, I, I, like what what a great telecast. Uh, the numbers are going to be huge. I'm sure the numbers are going to be big throughout the weekend. Uh, uh, um, and it was uh, really minor quibbles that, that I'm coming out with here. Maybe the Bengals were thinking about Chase Young. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> well, the Redskins are another one. They right. knew they were taking Chase Young, and then, so we had to wait 20 yeah. minutes for the first two picks, and everybody knew it was going to go like that. Uh yeah, I could live with the Bengals sort of giving you a little bit of the drama, but the Redskins have no Yeah, excuse. come on, guys. I mean, that, that, was the, that was the obvious pick of the, of the draft. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, let's sort of move on to a couple different things. The Last Dance... John was both a critical success and a viewership success for its first two episodes. I mean, 6.1 million for a doc. That's incredible numbers. Um, you, you know, I know everybody on Twitter was excited about it and people were thinking this is going to get Super Bowl numbers. It never works that way. But 6.1 million viewers for their debut uh, blows away all ESPN 30 for 30 docs. The reviews of this doc, uh, by and large, incredibly positive this um john for espn um and obviously the partners to netflix etc uh at least at this moment a runaway a runaway positive story for them right yeah and uh m- making me even more positive a, a shout out quick shout out to connor shell on this i mean if they had waited until july 4th weekend my opinion is without a coronavirus and in a normal sports um universe there's no way they get close to uh, to six million they saw the demand they saw the the people were, were just thirsting for some sort of new content uh that, that that pertained to sports that is not necessarily like an old game or or you know going back too far even though these are old highlights and they they capitalize on what the draft capitalized on which is people that are you know stuck at home just wanting to be entertained and they now have you know spread across five weeks you know uh, two hours a night of, uh, of you know, new, uh, old footage, but uh, old footage pre- presented in a, in a different way and, and telling a story that, I mean, this is a, uh, a 30 for 30 that blew away. Uh, it's not technically a 30 for 30, I guess, but that blew away any of the other uh, doc numbers. And uh, I, I just think ESPN was really smart at, at trying to 
rush this thing out, even though I'm sure the people making it wanted more time to, uh, to you know, gloss over some of the uh, little glitches that, that, that appear in the film. Yeah, the only, you know, I heard this from not many quarters and some, you know, the only sort of criticism of The Last Dance is, is it too much of, uh, um, you know, does it whitewash too much of Jordan? Is it too hagiography? But here's my counter to that. ESPN never promised this to be some uh, unfettered documentary that has never been told of Michael Jordan. It's the real Michael Jordan story. Michael Jordan's production team is a producing partner on this. So it's... You know, of course, I mean, of course, Jordan's people had involvement in this. They, they literally are a production partner. The project doesn't get done without Jordan. I think within those confines, it's really, really well done. And I think Jordan gives you incredible insight. But, you know, no, no one is saying that this is, uh, you know, Icarus, or, <laughs> uh, you know, or, or a documentary where you're like, you know, going to blow up the, um, the underground uh, Russian state sponsor doping. I, I just, I don't, it, that's just not realistic. There, there was no chance that that was going to happen. So I think within, within what it is, I think it's really well done. That's just, that's my read on it. Yeah, this is a positive story for Michael Jordan. I would imagine Michael Jordan has to be thrilled to get this out as a Brad sort of helps his reputation as, you know, the greatest of all time uh, and, and, uh, and, and just shows how dominant he was uh, d- during uh, the, really what was the heyday of, of uh, the NBA back in, in, in the mid-90s. But I will tell you that Doc does get into, um, you know, his gambling um, uh, addiction. Uh, the Doc uh, gets into, you know, when he just retired and, and went to baseball and some of the rumors uh, th- that went around from that. Um, the Doc does, uh, at the end of the series, I mean, the Doc does portray Jordan is a he he was a competitor and he and he was a winner but you know he was also an asshole and uh, 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 to his player to his teammates and, and everybody else and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily gloss over that as well i mean it's not a it's not a complete warts and all it's not done independently but it, it's it's hardly just kind of like all positive news and 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 uh, ignoring all all the negative aspects of uh, of what he had to live through yeah, I totally agree. That's well said. It's not a it's not a puff piece, and at the same time, it's not a complete portrait, which is fine. Like just, and I don't, and and you know, I think <laughs> I have no problem bashing ESPN on, on things that sort of they do that sucks. But like on this one, they didn't promise you that. They never promised you uh, the 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 you know the 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 Michael Jordan you never knew. They they promised you. Uh, a documentary on the 97, 98 bulls and sort of, and then give you a sort of a sense of who these people were. And I'm with you. I, I actually was pretty stunned that Jordan went as far as he did on the, on the gambling stuff. And then you as a viewer can make your determination as to what his, uh, what his answers mean. But uh, I certainly recommend it. If I have one complaint about it, it's uh and it's always hard to compare it to an Oscar winning documentary, but you know, the OJ doc, when it came out, was so well done and it didn't tell the it wasn't a story of oj's trial it was a story of los angeles and it was a story of the the 1990s and it it was a story of you know race and it just it it went in so many different areas and so my hope when i started to watch uh uh, the last dance was that this would go beyond sort of basketball or go beyond the chicago bulls and sort of be, be one of those and it doesn't. So this to me is sort of like a really good 30 for 30 
but it doesn't it doesn't quite reach out reach up to what I thought really one of the best probably the best sports documentary that that I've seen, which is uh, the, the OJ doc. It doesn't really come close to that, but it is uh, it's eminently watchable, I think. Yeah, but I mean, to me, I would say like the OJ doc. I think that's I I would argue probably the greatest sports documentary in history. Um, it's, it's OJ Simpson's story is, is in some sense, the story of America. It's a, just a much broader story with so many societal, political elements to it where Jordan has some of that, John, but I, I don't know if you could tell the, um, the same story. I, I just, I don't think they represent the same things when it comes to documentary filmmaking. That said, and as I wrote, the OJ documentary stands on its own. It, that's that ambition and th- that storytelling is at another level than the Last Dance. But I think if you just take the Last Dance on its own, I think it's really well done and would belong in the best thirty for thirties ESPN has ever done. So I'm with you on that. I just think I can't. I don't think you can compare the OJ doc to essentially almost any anything in sports. Yeah, it is a harsh comparison, but it was it's what I was hoping for when uh, b- before I sat down to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Ezra Edelman who did the OJ doc. I mean, there's a reason there's a reason a sports documentary on ESPN won an Oscar. You know, it's just yeah, it was right. that extraordinary thing. But yeah, I, I I I hear your point. It's interesting. All right, a couple more things here, John. Um, we're we're pretty early in this to sort of make large pronouncements, but it's what's very clear about um, what's going on with COVID nineteen is there are going to be so many parts of the sports media business that don't necessarily come back. Jobs that are lost are not coming back. Um, you know, if you want to sort of think about like the networks, they're they're if they've lost revenue that might not come back. A lot of times that obviously floats down to people not losing their people losing their jobs. You have any sort of large scale thoughts as to what the, the macro, the sports media business might look like January, 2021 after knock on wood, we, we get back to work and and come out of this. Yeah. uh, Two things. I'm two things I'm looking at. One is, um, you know, the first, what, 15, 20 minutes of this, uh, uh, pod, we're talking about the NFL draft and, and and how unique it was and what a technological marvel it, it is. Well, what what these networks are, are figuring out how to do is produce remotely, and so a lot of these behind the scenes folks that are you know have spent you know decades in production trucks sitting at, right outside of a stadium, uh, you know I think TV networks are learning how to produce without needing that, and and uh, uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure exactly what that means. I'm not sure if it means that they're, that they're going to need less. Uh, Less bodies. I, I'm, it certainly means less travel. Certainly means less people staying in, like you know, the, the four seasons in DC or or, or, or whatever, as they uh, you know come to, to shoot um, um, uh, uh, games here. Uh, but that that's something that I'm looking at because I think that 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 had already been happening. We had heard about even down to ESPN having their um, play-by-play and analysts, you know, calling games from Bristol. I mean, I think that that's been that's been a slow-moving trend. And I'm thinking, if I were betting, I would bet that that's going. This is going to accelerate that uh, a, a whole lot more. And I'm not entirely certain what that means or who might be affected. I agree with that. I think you're going to see less uh, remote productions and more productions from the Bristol studio or from the Fox's Los Angeles studio. 
Uh, John, I know that you've been a longtime fan of Sports Illustrated. I think everybody listening to this podcast knows I worked there for nearly two decades. Um, what's your sort of just initial reaction to see, once again, another round of layoffs from the Maven, and then very, very recently, Grant Wall um, no, longer with, uh, no longer with the Maven as well? Yeah, that, uh, that, that that's hard. I the um, I don't want to single out Sports Illustrated uh, completely because everybody sees what's going on uh, with with the ad market, and it's affecting online ads, it's affecting television ads, and it's certainly affecting print ads. And um, and it's you know this is these are tough times right now for really anybody that's uh, that's dependent on. Um, you know, the public or an ad, or an ad supported business and SI sort of falls right in that. Um, but you know, that the, the thing that I do want to take a swipe at, at the Maven and sports illustrated for is, you know, how long, how long had Grant Brent been at SI? Uh, maybe in the 20 year range, something like that. Maybe a little more, 20, 20 for 24 years, 24 years. Actually. Now that I think about it. Yeah. A 24 year reporter that is, uh, you know that that you end up getting rid of, you know, and 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 pe- people make make decisions all the time, but then they not only have to kick him on the way out, but publicize his salary, and it it, it is it, it it's it was just shocking that the man that management thought that they could win some sort of PR war by 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 doing that, and it, and it it makes me think that when the Maven comes after other reporters when when this lifts lifts people are going to remember that and it, and it, it's going to be confederate money you know like like I, I don't know how long it's going to happen before you turn on me and then you're going to put me out on social media and 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 in in uh publications let pe- people know my salary let people know like my inner workings and what i did like it, it management doesn't do that i that 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 really shocked me and and uh disgusted me and and made me think that uh the Maven is not a very good place for reporters to work. Yeah, it's well said. I, I will say this: no matter what you think of Grant uh, Wall putting out initially, um, sort of his concerns about uh, the Maven wanting him to take a pay cut, but it wasn't just a pay cut. Maven wanted to take a pay cut, and Grant's belief that that pay cut would be permanent. Ma- a management group that tries to publicly tarnish and embarrass a guy by throwing his salary out there. That's just that's as disgraceful as it gets for the management of a of a media company. And again, this is not anything I haven't said before. If you are a reporter or writer currently working there or currently in the business, looking at working at a place like that, how on earth could you could you could you ever trust that management again? You've literally seen what they've done publicly to. As you said, John, a long time, long tenured reporter. It also gets to the whole fact that the whole notion that these guys put out there saying that, you know, SI was broken and we're here to fix uh, Sports Illustrated and we're here to create, uh, we're here to um, get the best parts of its DNA and modernize is all bullshit. That's just, you know, look at the product now. That's just, that's not the case. And it's hard for me to say because there's still a lot of people who work there who, I worked with. There's some great talent there, but they're systematically destroying the last of Sports Illustrated, and it's it's really hard to see. Yeah, and if you and if you parse my words, you notice I I, I, did, 
I didn't support what Grant did. And I think that if I were giving Grant advice, I would have said, Grant, you don't want to go public with this. And I, 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 will, I, will even, I will even go out and say, like, I think that Grant was probably wrong in, 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 in being public with that. But to have management do what it did is uh, uh, just it, – it's – I wouldn't – I just – all I can say is I wouldn't want to work for that, that type of company. Let's finish up on this, John. This was a tweet that you that you sent out, and I thought it, I was glad to see you do it because I, I've um, obviously I'm I'm aware of this as well, and I've been reading these people. But we are seeing amid COVID nineteen a lot of sports writers in North America more from their sports writing jobs to covering news. Uh, Kent Babb is the one of the Washington Post that you cited. Uh, I'm in Toronto, so Bruce Arthur. And some other Toronto Star, uh, some other uh, um, Canada-based sports writers have morphed over uh, to the news side during this. And the one thing, John, that uh, I think it shows is that the really skilled sports writers in in North America can cover a news story as well as uh, as well as news writers, and oftentimes because they're really used to. Um, they're used to a certain deadline or they're used to a certain style of writing. They, they probably are writing some pieces that um, can be transcendent just because, you know, sports sort of sports writing uh, a lot of times uh, gives you the freedom to, to do some interesting and creative things where sometimes the news side doesn't. So I took note of that and I, I thought that was um, interesting. And we've seen this before, you know, um, um, Isabella Krishudian. Uh, who was the uh, Capitals uh, beat writer, is now uh, one of the uh, reporters in Moscow for the Washington Post. And another one, too, has been on this podcast, Chelsea Janes, who covered the Washington Nationals uh, for a while, is, um, you know, initially covered the Kamala Harris campaign and now is doing other political stuff. And Chico Harlan, somebody, John, you may know, was a Nationals uh, writer who is the Rome bureau chief at the Washington Post covering the COVID-19 story in Italy. So this is not an uncommon thing. And these people are producing some great work. Yeah. And I, I singled out Ken Babb, but, uh, you know, uh, the Washington Post uh, is down to, you know, three pages uh, in, in its print edition to, devoted to sports. There are no games that, that are happening. And they have, um, they have uh, Robert Klemko is, uh, is also doing it. A, a few other people. I don't know if you remember Alex Putterman, who used to be at Awful Announcing. He is now covering COVID for a, a, a Connecticut paper. Hartford Current. Hartford Current. Thank you very much. Uh, and there, there, uh, there aren't games to, to cover anymore, but there is. There are a billion stories uh, about the pandemic, and it, it's and it's not unique to the Post. But you know, I happen to live in D.C., so I, I notice it more with them. They are out there, and their stories are really, really good, uh, which is not a not a shock to me. But uh, it was something that uh, that I tweeted, and I was surprised that uh, that tweet got as much activity uh, as it did, with uh, a lot of other newspaper people uh, saying, uh, highlighting their reporters as well, and a lot of people mentioning what you mentioned about sports reporters that are able to, you know, really cover anything. Um, and I also think it's it's partly. You know, my first job in journalism, I was covering county planning board meetings in Montgomery County, Maryland, uh, and and somehow you had to sit through these, you know, three, four, five hour meetings and come out with a story that that is interesting and makes sense. Which I'm not going to say I did all the time, but you know, th- th- there's a certain discipline that that you that you uh, learn and and get to uh, that 
that, that really affects all journalists, not just sports journalists, but uh, uh, they're able to apply that to COVID. Yeah. Send me some of those clips, John, from your first job. I'd like to read those uh, county. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the the the, uh, the you 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 could only build in certain areas of Montgomery County, Maryland. You can only build your fence a certain height, and uh, every now and then there would be people that wanted to be over six feet. It would be eight feet, and, uh, and that was uh, those were always the best. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, this is like one. This is like there's a lot of horrible things about Twitter, to be honest. But one of the horrible ones is you can say something that's praising someone, like basically saying, "I'm really impressed by this. Like this person's doing a good job." And inevitably, at some point, someone will weigh in and say, "Yeah, but." Why didn't you praise this person too? Uh, or why didn't you? It's it's like unbelievable. So like in itself, that's you know the these sports writers who are doing that are doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. It doesn't mean that like others aren't doing phenomenal work. It's just highlighting that you know tip your hat to these people who've sort of morphed into this world and uh, and are really providing important uh, stories. John, is there anything else you want to add before I let you go? You've 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 been gracious enough to come on post draft, and I appreciate it. No, no, no. I'm just looking forward to uh, to tonight and tomorrow night on uh, on ESPN, and uh, I, I think it's on ABC as well. But all right, John, we made it through a whole podcast. Not a lot of PR drops today. Uh, I'm proud of us. We, you know, not, uh, I'm sure in the time we did this podcast, somebody leaked to somebody, but otherwise, we've uh, you know we've done a good job here. Yeah, you know what? And and we agreed more often than we didn't, and we uh, and we were positive on on a lot of uh, aspects. It, it, it was a completely weird pod for me. Richard. It's a new, it's a new, it's a new podcast. It's a new day. All right. John O'Rand is the, uh, uh, sports business daily and sports business journal media writer. Check out his work, uh, for that excellent publication, as well as, uh, finding his work on Twitter and other places. John, thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure we will talk soon and, uh, wish you and your family nothing but, uh, the best of health and stay safe. Stay safe, Artie. All right, back in the studio. <laughs> Not really in the studio, back in my house. Uh, my thanks to John O'Ran for coming on and uh, giving us a little bit of sports media uh, talk. I appreciate uh, that very much. Last couple of podcasts, just so you guys are aware, Sean McDonough uh, came on, was really, really interesting, talked about uh, sort of what he's doing now and um, his time at Monday Night Football, which in particular was really, really interesting. He was pretty honest about that. Uh, I'm with Sean, and that I don't, I don't think um, he got a real fair long shake there. Uh, Kalen Kaler, Kaler and Joe Neeson, both having worked previously at Sports Illustrated, the Maven, and their experiences there. That's worth checking out. Before that, did a Sports Media in the Age of Coronavirus podcast with uh, Ben Strauss of the Washington Post. Prior to that, Chico Harlan, Rome Bureau Chief of the Washington Post, what it's like to cover COVID-19 in Rome. Prior to that, Scott Van Pelt. ESPN, and then prior to that, mentioned on this podcast, Dr. Celine Gounder and Grant Wall. They are married. Celine Gounder is uh, one of the foremost uh, infectious disease experts in the country. Head um, to any of the archives if you want to check the stuff out that we've done. Uh, please leave us a review. It's basically how the podcast continues. Um, and uh, if you like it, drop five stars. Like I said, that's sort of how things continue. I want to thank uh, Patrick and Sean for producing this podcast. Thanks to Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, John McDermott at Cadence 13, and uh, everybody out there listening, uh, be healthy and stay safe.